0: Well, Father Gregory we are in the week leading up to Christmas here obviously our listeners are listening in the new year sometime but we're in between the Sunday before the nativity and the Sunday after the nativity and the uh, the readings from this past Sunday uh, appropriately I think have uh both in the epistle and in the gospel this slight emphasis on receiving you know that that kind of the litany of those heroes of the faith, all the things they received from God, and and um, at the end of the gospel reading, you know we we receive the earth and and all of us and the the people of Israel and everyone awaiting the Messiah receives the Messiah, um, and and so there's this emphasis, and I and I've been thinking about this kind of difference uh, between receiving christmas and achieving christmas and of course there there are any number of christmas movies built around this premise right the children are all sweet wonderful innocent angels who understand the true spirit of christmas which Unless is just home alone but <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, he has to, you know, be he has to uh, defend the house. Yes. Yeah. Uh, he, ha- you know, he has to be a little more sly. Uh, but but they they know that you know the kids get the spirit of Christmas, which which you know usually has to do with presents. But it, but at least there is that aspect of reception, while the adults are all you know work addicts and you know just uh they've got to we have to you know make the perfect meal for the in laws or we have to find the perfect gifts or we have to make enough money or, or whatever it is right but i but even though this is kind of a tired theme i think it's still a very good distinction to make when it comes not only to christmas but to to all of our spiritual life because the emphasis throughout all of scripture is that we are to receive god God offers himself to us as a gift. And of course, there is an activity involved in that reception. This is not simply a, a passive thing, but it is also not something that we accomplish. Our salvation is not our task. Uh, the coming of the Messiah does not come about because we have somehow earned it, or you know, a group of people or individuals has somehow done the right things to make God do this great thing. And so I I really, you know, just as we come into this time for our listeners, as we enter into this new year, uh, I hope it can be a time of openness and receptivity to what God is doing in our lives.
1: Yeah. And like you said, you know, our listeners are listening to this at the beginning of the new year, Mm -hmm. uh, 2023. And what better way is there to start the new year than to listen to the Church Coffee Pod podcast? All right
0: no better way.
1: You are listening to Church Coffee Pod where the theology is never watered down and the conversation keeps flowing. I'm Father Gregory and I'm Father Bryce. So Father Bryce, did we did we have any questions on our topic?
0: We did have a question. We we and, and in fact, we had a question come in over the voicemail. So let's go ahead and play that question.
1: Hey, long-time listener, first-time caller, uh, love you guys. You guys are like a religious click and clack.
0: Um,
1: anyways, my question, I have some friends who tell me they don't have to go to the Divine Liturgy, that they can pray and commune with God at home. Um, what should I tell them, and how can I get them to go to church? Um, I'll hang
0: up and listen. Thanks again. So that's a that's a great question.
1: Yeah, it's an excellent question. So, I mean, maybe just start off, like, what is the liturgy?
0: Yeah. Of course, so if we're going to talk to our friends about why they might attend the liturgy, we have to be able to talk to them about what it is they're even attending in the first place. So the liturgy is the primary worship service of our church. Of course, we have many services that our church does, Vespers and Orthros and uh, the Paraclesis and, and, and we, ha- we have so many. But this really is the central worship action that takes place in our church, is the celebration of the divine liturgy. Uh, the bishop, uh, Metropolitan Nicholas, likes to kind of talk about two different parts of the liturgy, and I think this, this works out really well. He talks about, you know, Jesus himself would have worshipped in, in two different kinds of places, in the, in the synagogue. And in the temple and in the synagogue, what takes place is there are prayers, usually the reading of some Psalms, and then a scripture is read and uh, and an expl- explanation and exhortation is given on that passage of scripture, of course, being read from the Old Testament. And that's really kind of what takes place in the synagogue. And then what takes place in the temple is, of course, sacrifice. And so we have these kind of two distinctions in our liturgy, the liturgy of the word and the liturgy of it's sometimes called the liturgy of the Eucharist, because of mm-hmm. course, that's the, not only is that the central action of this, this part of the liturgy, it's really the central act of the liturgy itself. Um, sometimes called the liturgy of the faithful, because many, many years ago at one point, the catechumens were uh, dismissed from the sanctuary before this part of liturgy would begin,
1: yeah, I, I mean the whole service can really just be called the Eucharist, the Thanksgiving yeah. service, the Divine Eucharist, Ithia Fhristia, mm-hmm. and the whole service is Divine Liturgy, and and breaking it up into these two parts is really just to help us uh, talk about it and understand the different parts, right? Um, but it's you know the two parts of the one whole, of course. Of course. And and uh, so, you know, I think of several scriptural passages when I think of the Divine Liturgy. Um, mm-hmm. One of my favorites is actually the fifth Eothinon, or Morning Resurrection Gospel reading. There's the 11 Gospel readings that are done, uh, one after the other, during the year usually, unless there's a break for some reason, like this coming Sunday with Christmas, obviously, right. that would be a break. but. So normally, we just had the fifth Eothenon, actually, last past Sunday. Right. And it's the road to Emmaus. Many people are familiar with it, I'll just kind of summarize it. There's two people, they're journeying to Emmaus. We understand them by tradition to be Luke. And in fact, Cleopas is actually named, I think, eventually Mm -hmm. in the reading. And they're just kind of walking along, and they're looking pretty sad and dejected. And uh, Jesus kind of pulls up next to them, and the risen Christ, but they don't recognize him. Cause this is after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, mm-hmm. um, they, they don't recognize him and he's just like, Hey, why are you so sad? And they're just like, don't you know, like are you the only guy that doesn't know what happened? There was this you yeah. know, Jesus and we thought he was a prophet and he was great and did all these miracles and they crucified yeah. him. And we thought he was the one to redeem Israel. And, and, and so then this uh, mysterious figure who we know to be Jesus, uh, teaches them from the scriptures, from the, from the law and the prophets, all the things concerning himself and that he must suffer and implied there mm-hmm. is the resurrection. And they're just like, okay. And then, you know, he acts like he's going to keep going and they're like, Oh, look, it's, it's the day's over. Why don't you come spend the evening with us? You know, they want mm-hmm. to show him hospitality, which is a very important, uh, virtue. And so oh, yeah. they're at, they're at table, you know, it's time for supper. They're at table and He takes the bread, he blesses, he breaks, he gives thanks, he breaks it. And uh, this language is very familiar. It's very Eucharistic.
0: Yeah. And we just heard it a couple chapters before that in Luke when he's talking about the Last Supper.
1: Right. Exactly. When he's celebrating the Last Supper, I mean, he takes the bread, he gives thanks, blesses, breaks it. And then uh, then their eyes open and they see him, they see the risen Christ and he vanishes out of their sight. And, uh, and then they said, did not our hearts burn to us on the road while he opened to us the scriptures. And Mm -hmm. so you see there, you see the liturgy of the word, uh, the the opening up of the scriptures. Um, and then you see the liturgy of the offering, the, the the giving thanks, the blessing, the breaking of the bread. Mm -hmm. And it is in the breaking of the bread that they recognize him, that they see him. Yeah. And so this same thing happens every time we attend the divine liturgy every time Mm -hmm. we celebrate the divine liturgy is we have the scriptures open to us. We hear them read. Um, we hear them proclaimed in the homily. Uh, we hear the gospel, the good news proclaimed. And then, uh, you know, then we have the, the giving thanks and the, you know, the presenting of the bread, the giving thanks, the blessing, the breaking and the distributing of it to the people and so and the risen christ is present with us every divine liturgy father schmemann had this thing i think in his journals where i i've I've repeated this multiple times to the people wherever i've served because i just i really like it Mm -hmm. uh he says you know the ancient or he says people today have the idea that christ is in their midst because the body and blood is on the altar meaning the eucharist um the communion he says but christians in the ancient times believe the body and blood was on the altar because Christ was in their midst. And, you know, it just emphasizes the presence of the risen Christ mm. uh, with us throughout the whole divine liturgy. St. Simeon, the New Theologian, as I recall, someone saying, uh, saw the risen Christ mm. um, when he celebrated the divine liturgy, uh, wow. just, just like Luke and Cleopas did. Um, yeah. and, and also I think it points out that Christ himself is the celebrant. So even when the bishop or the priest is doing the actions saying the words you know literally lifting up the bread breaking the bread yeah that it's christ himself who's always the celebrant yeah there's
0: a there's a dialogue at the beginning of the liturgy if, if there's a deacon that no one would ever hear because it's it's done silently between either the priest and the deacon or the bishop and the deacon and the deacon says it's time for the lord to act yeah not it's time for us to act or you know whatever it's time for the lord to
1: act yeah it's it's an act of the lord and and uh father hopko in one of his podcasts said you know everything should be in place everyone should be in place at that moment you know the reader Mm. should be ready the epistle should be set you know the altar should be ready You know, we should all be ready because it's the Lord himself who's going to act. And it's that is said at the end, actually, of Orthros. Right. Right before the beginning of the divine liturgy. Uh, And and so we need to be ready to go um, because it's the Lord himself who is acting in the divine liturgy. And not only the Lord is present, not only we present, obviously, um, but, you know, we have another reading that's kind of helpful to talk about this from the 12th chapter of the epistle to the Hebrews. Sure. Um, where it talks about, um, you know, it kind of makes this comparison between, um, uh, Sinai when Moses went to Sinai and there was the, you know, the, the thunder and the the cloud and the fire, and it was pretty scary. And it was like, mm. don't touch the mountain. Don't come right. close to the mountain. Yeah. If your cow touches the mountain, we got to stone it to death and all this stuff. It was <laughs> really, really intense. And yeah. And, the so the, you know, we believe Paul wrote the letter to the Hebrews. So he's, he's talking about that and, and then he kind of transitions. He goes, but that's not where you've come. Like even that, that great, scary, amazing, powerful, you know, divine presence of God on top of the mountain. He goes, but you've come to the heavenly Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, you know, and, you know, surrounded by a cloud of witnesses and. Um, the angels are there and you've come to God on the throne and you've come to, uh, Christ and you've come to the blood of the lamb and all this stuff. And it's, it's very, very powerful imagery. You know, I encourage everyone to read it. You know, that, that passage is like, uh, the 12th chapter, the 18th verse, like through the 29th verse, if you will. Um, and so you know, it's just, it's a really powerful thing. So w- what's the point there? Obviously Christ is present. God is present. We're present. So are the angels. So are the saints. Yeah. I think the exact language is, uh, the assembly of the firstborn who enrolled in heaven to God, the judge of all and the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Yeah. So all of that, all of those are present in the divine liturgy whether we have eyes to see or not some of the saints yeah. saw them like elder porphyrio elder of menios great saints and modern elders of the church mm-hmm. elder yakobos silicus of evia i mean they literally saw these things um that are manifest we don't always see them um but they're there yeah and yeah. so that's that's a powerful witness uh to the liturgy and then and then finally another Passage. I mean, there's so many scripture passages we could
0: oh, yeah. we I can mean, allude to yes, for, the, of for the liturgy. Yeah. But
1: another great point, again, also, I think, made by Father Tom Hopko of Blessed Memory and others, you know, it's um, the Apocalypse, the Apocalypse of John, the Book of Revelation, as we commonly yeah. understand it. You know, um, it was inspired by the Divine Liturgy. It inspired the divine liturgy,
0: mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm.
1: St. John is in prayer on the Lord's day. Yeah. Kiriaki which is Sunday as we understand it. Uh, so he's in prayer when the heavens are open and he sees all these things and he sees the heavenly liturgy. He yeah. sees, uh, the lamb of God. He hears, he sees the risen Christ and it's this powerful image and it kind of gives, it uses imagery of Isaiah, the heavenly throne room, Isaiah six, Ezekiel, uh, Ezekiel the beginning, where it talks about the, the, the creatures with the four faces, yeah. mm-hmm. which St. Irenaeus of Lyon talks about as, you know, the four evangelists. Right. Um, and, and he sees the 20 and four elders on thrones, so the 12 patriarchs from the Old Testament, the 12 mm-hmm. apostles from the New mm-hmm. Testament. They all have crowns. Eventually, later on in the apocalypse, you'll see thousands of martyrs in white robes. Yeah under the altar which is interesting because the church puts the relics of saints in the altar or on right underneath the altar table when a church is consecrated done that since the very ancient times until now do you see that referenced in a sense Uh, the incense rising up is the prayers of the saints Mm -hmm. Uh, so obviously we use lots of incense in the church Um, and um, so all of these things are kind of happening he sees all these things And then he sees, uh, the lamb of God upon the altar as one slain. Yeah. Um, kind of, so, but the lamb of God is also on our altar table. Yeah. Um, it's his true body and blood. Right. And so, but there's one lamb. Right. You know, uh, I heard father Pat Reardon make this point once in a talk. There's one lamb of God. And so that means that that heavenly worship that St. John is seeing, and let's just call it for now, the liturgy as we're seeing it Mm -hmm. are united
0: because there's the one lamb that's on the altar table. So, right. So, so not only are we kind of present to those realities of those who have gone before us are in, are in that heavenly reality, but there's a way in which we're present to all who are partaking on at that same on that same day right the it is one lord's day it is one lord's feast uh there was uh when i was involved with the crossroad institute uh at the seminary you know there was the the crossroaders would often text each other for months afterwards see you at the chalice even though you know they're spread across the whole Ah, country yeah. yeah you know they were gonna go to liturgy that day right and and they you know that was something that one of the one of the speakers had emphasized to them and it, it, they really took it to heart. You know, we are partaking of the Eucharist together, even though, you know, hundreds of miles separate us.
1: That's beautiful. I mean, that, that harkens back to like the Didache or mm-hmm. the, the Didach, as certain people the might Didach. call it. <laughs> yeah. You know, the Didache, the teaching, the teaching, you know, it, it, it you know, this idea of um, the grain spread all over the world coming yeah. together in the one bread. mm and in the liturgy of St. Basil, we have that prayer, Unit us in the one cup, mm. you know? And so, you know, even though you might end up with multiple chalices coming out to serve the people, depending on the size of the parish, um, you, you have one that's on the altar and, you know, you see these pictures of these like giant Russian cathedrals and there's like this <laughs> giant massive... Chalice, which I don't know how anyone carries that thing. Yeah, and it looks like, like a small
0: dinner dinner plate sized pieces yeah. of bread that they use for the Eucharist.
1: And it used, it looks like a small baptismal font, you know. Yeah, just and they have to use the holy ladles to fill up the other chalices from it. So, yep. uh, but it, it's a lot just, more
0: bicep curls. I think they got to do to. They're just they're just Sunday. bigger.
1: They're just bigger and tougher. So, yeah. anyways, um, <laughs> so it's just it just captures that, um. The, the one the one cup, obviously, yeah. is where, where I'm going with that course, and how we're united. So I love that, that. I didn't know that, obviously, about Crossroads. I wasn't, I haven't been involved in that. But that's awesome. I love that. See you at the chalice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that would be a great thing for a lot of people to pick up. Because it's true. You know, Father uh, Pentiuk at the seminary, he was talking once about uh, the blessing of the loaves, you know, the feeding of the 5,000. And he was talking about how that has Eucharistic... Connections, but the idea is that it never runs out. Right. So the Eucharist never runs out in that sense. Mm. Christ is being received all over the world in thousands and thousands and thousands of divine liturgies, which are all connected as one liturgy because of the one Christ, and is Mm -hmm. being
0: received all over these places
1: and is never exhausted right he, well he, he has is forever prayer. eaten yeah he's, yeah exactly ahead.
0: that's exactly what i was gonna say the prayer that we do as we're dividing the um no you know he is ever ever broken but never divided ever eaten but never consumed yeah never completely exhausted
1: in that way that's what it by consumed that's what it's it's driving right out there right in that prayer so yeah so i mean we have all this there's a lot more we could say but it's kind of going oh, back to goodness. the question why oh, attend goodness. why attend the divine liturgy why should you go
0: yeah so I think the the simplest answer is that harkens back to that great kind of image from the Fifth Aotheon gospel that you mentioned earlier of Luke and Cleopas. You know, um, there it's it's very popular now, um, especially with you know the pandemic having happened and and more and more churches offering live stream options you know, th- this, this has become an even more real question, right? Why, why should I make that extra effort to go to church in person when I could stay home and, you know, whatever, you know, mm-hmm. it, it would be a lot easier for me. And of course, we're not talking about those people who have to, for some reason, that's, yeah, there's you know,
1: people who cannot physically come to the divine liturgy as much as the, and, and often they very much want to, right? They right. very much want to, but, but life circumstances are such that they, it's, it's impossible for them right. to do so. But
0: if, but if I've got a choice, I could go to liturgy or I could stay at home or I could, you know, whatever. Uh, why, why make that extra effort? And I think, yeah, Luke and Cleopa said, didn't our hearts burn within us while he explained the gospel to, to, to us? Yeah, that, and that's great, right? You can get, maybe, maybe you can get some of that experience from attending the live stream but it is only in receiving the bread that he blessed and broke that their eyes are opened and they experience him as Christ. Our knowledge of Christ uh, in in the Orthodox faith is a knowledge of experience. It's not just, we don't just learn about Christ. We can't mm-hmm. just pick up the scriptures and and learn about Christ. We have to experience Christ. We have to encounter Christ and we can encounter him in many ways but one of the indispensable ways that Mm -hmm. we encounter the risen Christ Mm -hmm. is like Luke and Cleopas in the breaking of the bread and partaking of the Eucharist.
1: And I think it also speaks to the fact that it's not just, it's not just about me and God. It's not just about me and Jesus. Right. I mean, we, we, we alluded to the angels, the saints, but also to one another. Um, we are united to one another, in yeah. the One Chalice. I, I think of that image of uh, Abba Dorotheus of Gaza, of the wheel, mm, and yeah. how we all kind of start on the rim of the wheel, and the spokes go down to the center. Christ is the axle, he's the center point. And as mm-hmm. we journey closer to him, we get closer to one another. Yeah, And that's really manifestly present the Divine Liturgy. When we're coming to the One Chalice, which also speaks to how we need to prepare to come to the One Chalice. We need to have mm. this realization of, of the, of the communal aspect, I mean, communion, right? The communal aspect, uh, with the Lord primarily, but also with, uh, one another. And, you know, and so, you know, the, with the fear of God with faith was originally how it said at the Mm -hmm. invitation. And then I think it was the Kolivada's fathers, someone told me added, and with love, Mm-hmm. And, um, my liturgics professor, Father Kalivas at Holy Cross, you know, he would, he would say, okay, how do we prepare? I remember this at one point in one of his lectures. And he brought that up with the fear of God, you know, kind of talking about with piety, with respect, with reverence, with due reverence, with faith, obviously believing as the church teaches, having the faith, the Orthodox faith. Um, and then, but with love, you know, love for God and love for our neighbor. Uh, which, you know, means you may have to go and ask forgiveness, receive forgiveness,
0: um, starting in your home with other people in the church. I mean, Christ himself said that over and over, right? If, if you're going to offer your sacrifice and you, you, you know, that you have something against your brother, your brother has something against you, go be reconciled.
1: Yeah. You got to be reconciled and, and you got to make the effort there too. And that is possible when we're present with one another, uh, it can be hard work. I mean, that's probably oh, a yeah? topic for another podcast, <laughs> uh, forgiveness.
0: Yes. Oh, it's a great topic.
1: You know, how to forgive and and to accept forgiveness. I think sometimes people are really hard on oh, themselves yeah. too and have a hard time uh, truly receiving forgiveness. Yeah. Um, and so um, that's really important. But And that happens in the context of the Divine Liturgy. I remember the hearing the story about the uh, orphanage down in Guatemala and how the kids... W- would do a rite of forgiveness every week, I think, not wow. just, not just, um, on forgiveness Sunday. Wow. And I've, uh, in marriage preparation, you know, I've often encouraged couples to do that every Saturday night before Sunday morning liturgy to ask each other for forgiveness Yeah. because we're human. We, we make mistakes, we mess up, we sin, and we, we need to forgive one another and, and seek forgiveness from one another. So that yeah. that's important too. And that's, I mean, I'm just trying to emphasize that that's possible when you come together yeah, uh, to right. celebrate so we, the divine we, liturgy.
0: We not only come to liturgy to, to encounter Christ, to receive Christ, but to, to encounter one another, mm-hmm. to, yeah, to, to, to to receive one another's presence. Well, and I think George, Father George Swarovski pointed out, probably
1: maybe riffing off of from St. Ignatius of Antioch, that, you know, the church is the people of God at prayer, like the, mm. the fullest definition or manifestation, if you will, of the church is when we're gathered together to celebrate the divine liturgy. Yeah. That is what the church is. That's what the church primarily does. We, what we do is the divine liturgy. You know, I remember the story I heard once about this Russian priest in France and he was sitting on this park bench and this, uh, like a, I think it was a Protestant pastor came and sat next to him and they struck up a conversation and uh, this pastor had a very active church and they did all kinds of activities, all kinds of things, lots of good work, you know, lots of good mm-hmm. things happen in mm-hmm. there. And, and he got all done and he looked at the Russian priest and he says, well, what do you, what does your church do? What do you do? And he thought about it for a second. He looked at him and he says, we celebrate the divine liturgy. Yeah. You know, and, and not being glib or smug or anything, just, just like, that is the most important thing that we do. That is the primary right. thing we do. Right. Everything not else. all the other things. No, not at all. Not at all. Those other things are necessary too, but everything flows from that. So like at the yeah. end of the divine liturgy, when we say, let us go forth in peace. Yes. You know, it's, we, Ion uh, was it Eon Bria? He was a deacon, Romanian deacon. I can't remember. I he know. talked about the liturgy after the liturgy. Oh,
0: I've heard that phrase.
1: Yeah. It's like going out. We're, we're being sent out into the world, having received Christ, having celebrated his victory over death and sin. Um, and having received the love of God, having been invited to table at the Holy Trinity, uh, you know, that icon where the, there's a side of the table and it's open for you. Yeah. And, um, having participated in that heavenly banquet, having received the Lord, we're being sent back out into the world to carry Christ with us. Yeah. Uh, as we encounter the image of Christ and our fellow man, um, out in the world, out in society. And so, uh, so everything flows from the liturgy, and everything flows back to the liturgy. It it enhances our private prayer. Our private prayer helps prepare us for the celebration of the divine liturgy. Yeah, uh, it's another image of
0: that. So yeah, yeah. And you mentioned also the victory of Christ, right? This is every, especially every Sunday liturgy, is a celebration of the victory of Christ over death. Mm-hmm. We. Don't often see this the distinction as sharply in in kind of the modern era because we don't have the ability to attend as many weekday services. So during Lent, many uh, many of us priests will still wear our darker colored, our you know usually purple vestments on Sundays, but traditionally those darker colored vestments would have been worn only during the week in Lent, and we would still have worn a white or a, a, a brighter color mm-hmm. on sunday because sunday every sunday is right. a celebration of the resurrection of christ a, a celebration of his victory over death and you know why do i got to go to church to celebrate that how often do you celebrate alone mm. you know yeah. we celebrate right. together that's a that's a communal activity
1: yeah and it's it, it is that it's a celebration it's he's the king is on his throne his enemies have been put down uh, and the enemies again are sin and evil and darkness and all that stuff and that's what the divine liturgy is yeah it's and that's also what the gospel is yeah you know there's this uh, wonderful podcast of uh, father thomas hopko was doing before he passed away he didn't quite get to finish it um worship in spirit and truth yeah. and he was uh, talking about the divine liturgy and even if you don't listen to the whole thing i would encourage people to listen to at least the first few episodes yeah um because he really does an amazing job of just kind of setting this up and talking about what the liturgy is yep. and what it is we're really doing at the divine liturgy. Um mm-hmm. So yeah. So far, far better than we could. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And this is, this is just not even barely, this isn't even really scratching the surface. This is just, I don't know what, yeah, we're just barely introducing this topic because yes. yeah. we could just talk about it so much. And Absolutely. Obviously, we're priests. I mean, we love the divine services. It kind of goes without saying. Maybe a little biased. Yeah, it goes without saying, but we really want to invite everyone into this. That's also kind of part of our calling as priests, uh, because the people are there to be active participants. Yeah. Um, Our brother priest, Father Cyprian, he came up with a little phrase I heard him say once, something like active participants and not, um, you know, passive observers or is mm. something like that um, yeah. kind of captures the idea you know
0: yeah I was I was talking to some of my parishioners uh, recently maybe last month or so and and I said you know that th- those all those litanies where I'm the priest is saying in peace let us pray to the Lord you know for mm-hmm. the peace from, let us pray to the Lord the priest isn't praying at that time you're praying that's when the people are praying the, and the Lord have mercy is the prayer the priest is kind of given a framework like hey let's yeah. As we're saying, Lord, have mercy. Let's say, Lord, have mercy for these these particular things. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll remind you of the things so that you don't have to come every week and remember these particular things. But that's the time for for the people, the body, everyone together to pray, Lord, have mercy, which is really I mean, that is the church's prayer.
1: Well, and to bring to mind those things, I mean, you can literally, when you're praying for the sick and the suffering, everyone knows someone that's going through something. You can bring Absolutely. them to mind, offer them up yeah. in prayer at that time mm-hmm. uh, for our country. I mean, our country always is in need a lot of a prayer. Seems like maybe even more so these days, but, you know, always in a need of prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're praying for our civil authorities, for the office of the president, for armed forces, um, you know, we're, for our hierarchs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I used to tell people, if you, if you don't like my sermons, or you don't like something I'm doing, then pray for me, you know, right. uh, yeah. you know, I need your <laughs> prayers. Yeah. Uh, I need, I need the help of the Holy spirit. Uh, we all do. Um, mm-hmm. there's a beautiful scene, I think in war and peace where there's something like that, that happens with a litany where she's thinking about what's going on in life. And as the deacon is doing the litany. And that's the other thing too, I was going to say with that. I mean, normally if you have a deacon in the church, that's, those are his portions. And there's a reason he kind of walks out on the yeah. to do them. So he's kind of standing amongst the people and he's exhorting them to prayer. Mm-hmm. To your point, he's bringing up the topics, he's providing order and structure so that the people can then bring those things to mind and lift them up in prayer in the divine liturgy. Yeah. Um, and that is the corporate prayer, the corporate worship of the church together.
0: Right. We need the people there to do it. There's another reason to come.
1: That's another great point. A priest in the Orthodox Church can never do the divine liturgy by himself. Right. I mean, he can pray the tipica, he can pray the orthros, kind of. It's kind of hard to do. Yeah. Uh, but uh, all of our services are really hard to do on your own, besides maybe the hours. Um, and uh, But, you know, for the liturgy, there has to be at least one other person there to say the yeah. Lord have mercies, to say the amens. Um, the people have to be represented in some way. Yeah, uh, for the divine liturgy to take place. And we can't do it on our own. Right.
0: Well, we uh, take seriously when when two or three are gathered together. Yeah, there Christ there, is there. There Christ is. Yeah.
1: There I am in your midst. Uh, which we say during the divine liturgy, you know, yep. Christ is in our midst when we give the kiss of peace. Mm-hmm. Um, so so much could be said there, and but I do think it's important we're celebrating the victory of Christ. Yeah. Uh it's 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 not dead ritual, it's it's a living celebration. With the clergy, the people, the, the angels, the saints, mm-hmm. God himself, Christ, and, yeah. the, and the body and blood of the lamb and yeah. all of that. Um, so it's really an amazing gift that's yes. given to us. And right. so, you know, to come back to that, right? We, we started talking about receiving the gift. Mm-hmm. So yeah. when you receive a gift at Christmas, what do you do? You open it. You open it. You get it out. You put the batteries in it. You (laughs) wash it and wear it, whatever it is. Yeah, right. You use it. And so liturgy is a gift. Uh, Christ is a gift that's given to us, the Son of God. You know, uh, the famous John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, Um, which is the gift of Christmas, the gift of Christmas, is Christ himself. Of course. Um, and we, we receive him in the Divine Liturgy, you know, fully. And so we, when we attend the Divine Liturgy, we're unwrapping the gift, we're, we're unpacking, as it were, were, we're receiving the gift, and we're carrying the gift out with us, within us. Yeah. Uh, and inviting others to come and see. Yep. Inviting others yeah. to come to the glory of the Divine Liturgy and the celebration of the Divine Liturgy.
0: Yeah. And I think to return to that, that second half of, of the question, you know, what, what can you do to convince your friends? I, I don't think there's an argument. I don't think this is a rational kind of thing of like, well, if you just understood, right, then you'd come. No, I think the best thing that you can do is attend yourself, be transformed, experience, mm-hmm. be filled with the joy. And as it says at the end of the liturgy, go forth in peace. Mm-hmm. And if you're you know and if you see your friends and and they see you have this peace, you have this joy, you have Christ within you, that's that that is an attractive thing. That is an argument in itself. Why believe. do you come to liturgy? you know that that's the best thing.
1: Yes, believe in what's taking place in liturgy. uh celebrate the liturgy yeah. and live. The divine liturgy, which is, yeah. which is really to believe the gospel, uh, celebrate the gospel and live the gospel, which is right. really to believe Christ, to celebrate Christ, uh, to live Christ together with the father and the Holy spirit, because the Trinity is always, is always together. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, glory to God, uh, Amen. for all things. So, um, so yeah, so next month's topic is is a very broad one on saints, uh, but to kind of help you maybe think more specifically, if you have any questions, like why do we pray to saints, um, the intercessions of the saints, uh, or just general questions, how does somebody become a saint? What is a saint? Uh, or any kind of questions like that uh, people might have. Where can they where can they send questions, Father?
0: yeah please if you if you do have questions we have we need the the specificity here we need some uh, narrowing down so if you have questions uh that you'd like us to discuss on this upcoming podcast or or really i mean you can you can send in questions for future podcasts uh you know we we are always building out that schedule uh you can email us at churchcoffeepod all one word churchcoffeepod at gmail.com or You can like our caller today, leave us a voicemail at 317-660-5498. Thanks for listening to Church Coffee Pod. If you enjoyed what you heard, please like, subscribe, and leave a review. Make sure to tell your friends that church coffee isn't so bad after all. God bless. Peace.